Hello, and welcome to Cover to Credits, a bi-weekly podcast where we talk about books and their movie adaptations. I'm Ian George. And I'm Adina Hilton. Today we're going to be discussing Fight Club. Yeah, so we, we, we talked a little bit about uh, how we should start this off, you know, whether we should talk about the book a little bit or what. And I think we uh, just decided let's get straight to it. Yes, but first... Let me just say, spoilers, obviously. Yes. For anyone who hasn't seen the movie or read the book, uh, we're going to spoil everything. Yeah, so it's two listen spoilers. Listen at your own peril. Two spoilers for the price of one story. Exactly. Um, but, you know, even if you uh, if you have no interest, we definitely hope you listen. And then maybe you'll want to read them or watch the movie afterwards. Of course. So, uh, yeah, so let's let's cut right to it. What was better, the book or the movie? The book is obviously better. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> See, okay. I obviously, I think the movie's better. Mm-hmm. I mean, because it is, first of all. <laughs> uh, also, I have a a smoking gun in this argument. Okay, that I'll 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 bring I'll hold up at off. A later time. Yeah, I'll bring up later. Okay, I think a good thing that we can start off with uh, would be first lines. Oh yeah. So um, I have the book here with me, and I was just noticing that <laughs> first line in the book is. Tyler gets me a job as a waiter. After that, Tyler's pushing a gun in my mouth and saying, the first step to eternal life is you have to die. For a long time, though, Tyler and I were best friends. People are always asking, did I know about Tyler Durden? Technically, that's the first three sentences, but I wanted to make sure we got that in there. <laughs> yeah, and which is interesting because uh, the first line is that last one in the book, in that passage. Everyone's asking me if I know Tyler Durden. In the movie. In the movie. Yeah. Which, you know, something about the movie adaptation that's interesting that I like a lot is so much of it, so much of the narrator dialogue. Um, is kept in the movie. Yeah, is pulled mm-hmm. almost straight out of the book. And, you know, I was more familiar with uh, the movie when reading the book for the first time. And as I was going through the book, I was like, God, there's almost nothing that's here that isn't in the movie in some form. Yeah. You know? they, they remain pretty true to the book in a lot of ways. There's some ways that it doesn't, which we'll be discussing later. Sure. sure. So we got the narrator, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the start of the movie, similar to the start of the book. And uh, the, the book... The book pacing and the movie pacing are similar in that the book is very chunked up yeah. by chapter. Mm-hmm. And it kind of goes with Chuck Palahniuk's writing style, yeah. right? Yeah, he's very uh, to the point. You know, he doesn't have long, drawn-out sentences. Mm-hmm. You know, he's kind of uh, an interesting writer that way. And each chapter, and if I'm correct about this, he actually starts most of his books by writing a short story and then expanding on it. Do you know if that's right? I know that this novel in particular, uh, different chapters of it appeared as short stories before mm. it was published as a book. And I think one chapter in particular was the one that kind of started this idea and then he uh, turned it up from there. Uh, talking about this though, um, one interesting fact that I learned when I was t- reading about the book online a bit was that um, Chuck Polanek got the idea to write this mm. book when he was on a camping trip with some friends and somehow there was a disagreement with some other campers and they got into a crazy fist fight. So the next you know, Monday when he goes into work, He's got a black eye, or he's, his face is all beat up, but nobody says a word. Nobody yeah. asks him anything at work, and that was kind of his idea, like, why wouldn't anyone ask me about this? Which is obviously something that the narrator has all the time. He goes into work, nobody says a word. Yeah, yeah. And uh, 
And I'm curious where Chuck Palahniuk was working at the time, if it was a similar setting if to where the narrator... working class job, either yeah. like blue collar or working in an office, you know? Because I mean, you know, that depends a lot on the setting. You know, if I wanted to work with a black eye, everyone would definitely be asking me about it because I'm close to the people I work with. But, uh, you know, there's definitely corporate jobs where people just kind of keep their distance. Yeah, and that's kind of give a crap about you. Yeah. And that's kind of a part of this book is that that's kind of where the narrator's at at this point. So the story starts off with there. And, you know, so the movie's kind of segmented like the book in that there's kind of the one of the opening chapters is kind of about this uh, the um, the help the help groups he goes to help me out with the um, oh the cancer groups yeah the cancer groups and everything support there's, groups the support groups thank you <laughs> there's there's like a chapter where he talks a lot about the support groups mm-hmm. and then the next chapter might kind of be like about his job yeah and all the chapters are kind of like a self-contained um, stream of consciousness mm-hmm. where it kind of starts and ends in the same place with the narrator just kind of like going through everything in his mind a lot of times. Yeah, it's very, he's thinking in his own mind, Mm -hmm. which obviously ties in with uh, what the book is all about, as well as the movie. But the movie's kind of like that, too, in that, like, um, oh, there's the part where, um, you know, they're making soap, Mm -hmm. or there's the part with the support group, or there's the part where he beats himself up. Like, it's kind of segmented Mm -hmm. in a similar way. In terms of kind of like these, this mishmash of like episodes, episodes, yeah, yeah, and that's very much like the book. Although I will say that the book kind of deviates a little bit from that n- more near the end. Yeah, like I feel like a lot of those self-contained chapters happen earlier on, mm-hmm. and I honestly feel like it's a little bit of a detriment to the book. Um, I Not re- as cohesive. Yeah, because I, I really. And even the self-contained chapter aspect, because I really, you know, I like that style of writing and it's interesting. But, for example, um, you know, he meets Tyler Durden in one chapter and we'll have to get to the differences there a little bit. But then the next chapter starts off with Fight Club being a thing now. Yeah. And he talks about, like, you know, being at work with a black eye. No one asks him about it, how Tyler and him began Fight Club. But at this point, you don't know who Tyler is yet. Yeah. You know, he kind of just met him and suddenly he started Fight Club with him. Mm-hmm. And there's kind of this weird gap where you're like, who's Tyler? You know, he kind of, yeah. they haven't really established him well as a character yet. And that chapter doesn't do a whole lot to, to explain his character. Do you think the movie does that better? I do. I think the movie, uh, you know, you um, he meets Tyler. On the plane. On the plane. Mm-hmm. They get a drink after his house blows up. So they kind of, and that is in the book too, if I believe, like their kind of dialogue at the bar. Yeah. But um, but then he goes on before they actually throw the first punches. Yeah. He tells you about Tyler, mm-hmm. how Tyler's a waiter, how Tyler's a, yeah. you know, puts the films together at the, the mm-hmm. cinema. And so you kind of like figure out a little bit more about him. And uh, he's more of a presence when the Fight Club stuff is happening. It just felt like he was more there. And more interesting. Immediately. Immediately in the movie movie Mm -hmm. than in the book. Let's talk about that first meeting between Mm -hmm. Tyler and the narrator. (laughs) Yeah. Because it is very different. It's super different. From the book to the movie. And I I get why the movie did what it did, you Mm -hmm. know, because he talks about, you know, having to travel for work and being on a plane, planes all the time. Yeah. Thinking about, you know, crashing the plane because he's crazy. (laughs) And, uh, And then he meets Tyler. And, you know, Tyler's there with his witty comebacks to the narrator Mm -hmm. and he just sort of you know 
shakes him up a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so in, it's funny because in the, the movie, the movie has like subtle overtones of um, like homoeroticism between a little bit Tyler and the narrator, like kind of a little bit, you yeah. know, where they're like, the narrator talks about like Tyler kind of abandoning him or getting dumped by Tyler. Like there's a scene feeling where, rejected, feeling rejected. There's a mm-hmm. scene where Tyler's like bathing in the tub and the narrator's sitting, sitting beside right him. Next to him. Um, mm-hmm. But the book is way more like the book. If you haven't read the book, it is way more homoerotic. Yeah. I was trying to like write down all the scenes mm-hmm. that stri- like sh- that <laughs> spoke to me as being kind of sexual. Yeah. But specifically the the first scene where they meet mm-hmm. and it makes sense because the narrator is asleep on the beach and he's taking a vacation from working his bureaucratic uh office life job and he you know is sleeping on the beach and when he wakes up tyler's there and it's a nude beach yeah i was gonna say that's the biggest <laughs> so i don't think the narrator says if he's nude or not but tyler is definitely nude mm-hmm. he does say that tyler is nude and Tyler is kind of making this sand structure in the beach. And Tyler's, yeah, it's with big logs, right? Yeah, yeah. And the narrator's just kind of watching him, and that's how they meet. And, I mean, it's a nude beach. <laughs> Tyler is described as being, like, sweaty and sandy, you and know? he has, like, a birthmark that they don't describe where, I don't think. On the narrator. On, yeah. No, on, on Tyler, though, right? Oh, really? Yeah, I think he... Doesn't he mention, like, seeing a birthmark on Tyler? I don't remember that part. Okay, we'll cut this part out. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if that's true or not. (laughs) We're experts in this. Um, Yeah, so so they meet, and both plot lines from there kind of go the same. I think the narrator Starting Fight Club. Starting Fight Club, his apartment blowing up, Mm -hmm. him calling. Moving uh, in with Tyler. Moving in with Tyler on Paper Street, and them... Uh, beginning Fight Club together. Here's an interesting thing, since we're, you know, now we're into the Fight Club part. Yeah. What did you think was more uh, grisly, the book or the movie? Because the book is very, like, Chuck Palahniuk's writing can be very, oh, very gross and very... It can be very gross. Yeah. But this book was not gross to me. There were parts at the end for really? me. Yeah. I didn't feel disgusted by it. And I've read some other, you know, short stories <laughs> and books by him where mm-hmm. I feel physically ill reading it but this book for some reason didn't really bother me as much I still can't watch I can't look at that scene where the narrator beats up Angel Mm -hmm. the one character in that fight I can't look at it because it's too gross and the sounds you can't watch Jared Leto's face get I know his pretty face I can't I can't look at it so for me the movie was more grisly mm -hmm. yeah the movie uh they're kind of equal although the book does have that part this was a part so there's maybe two parts in the book, like two chapters that aren't in the movie. Yeah. And I think it makes sense. The one part in the book deals with um, Marla, where you find out she has been receiving um, fat from her mother. Yeah. She she gets fat liposuction from her, and then she sends it to Marla because she's starting what she calls a collagen trust fund, (laughs) where she wants to inject her lips with collagen. And um, so she keeps it. At the freezer at, on Paper Street. Yeah. And you find out later that the soap they were making. Um, they've been using Marla's mother's fat. They've been fat. using Marla's mother's fat. And so there's a whole chapter where um, 
Marla realizes this and she gets really pissed off and she fights the narrator over one of the bags of fat and, and it, it just spills it, everywhere on the floor and then they're <laughs> wrestling in the fat and then they're in it's the great. fat it's super gross but like funny yeah um but like that was and I think understandably cut yeah, from the for, uh, you know streamlining the process I think yeah. they show a scene early on where they go to get fat from that mm-hmm. um uh, chemical waste Which or they something. talk about in the book too. Yeah, I they think. talk about getting mm-hmm. it. They don't really describe it. So, and that made sense to me that they would just be like, that's where they're getting the fat, you know? Let's yeah. have that set up. Um, interesting though, because I feel like they, in the movie, they really cut a lot of Marla's character. Yeah. And which is kind of a bummer because she's super interesting and weird. I mean, in the movie and in the book, but in the book, there's a lot more moments between her and the narrator where you can kind of see the connection between them yeah, and why they care for each other. And, you know, even though the narrator is kind of denying that he has feelings for her for a while mm-hmm. and, you know, he thinks of her as being with Tyler. Um, they have some moments of intimacy um, where they connect. One moment I want to bring up is uh, the part where she calls him because she finds a lump in her breast. Yeah. And they do have that scene in the movie, but they're completely different. Yeah. So uh, in the book, uh, while um, the narrator is checking her for a lump on her breast, he goes on. He kind of tells this whole like story mm-hmm. um, about a time he had a uh, a birthmark on his foot that was being looked at by a doctor, and they thought it was some rare cancer. Yeah. And so like he was being inspected inspected by doctors suddenly for like half an hour and mm-hmm. then they realized no it's just a birthmark yeah and so he kind of tells marla this story to kind of put her at ease because she's more freaked out i'd say in the book in a yeah, way she's scared and you know it's more of a a sign of the narrator caring about marla in the yeah. book which i appreciate like i liked that moment between them where they're both a little vulnerable yeah and in the movie he's just irritated the whole time he he's mm-hmm. she's asking him to check for a lump he feels it he doesn't want to be there. She asks if he wants her to check his prostate, and he's like, no, thank you, and then basically leaves. Whereas, you know, in the book, he recognizes that she's scared, feeling vulnerable, you know, and they do, you know, they do find a lump. Um, mm-hmm. He does say that she doesn't die or anything, but yeah. it's kind of that moment where it's like, shit, like, she might, you know, have cancer. Yeah. We don't know. Um, so that was a kind of sweet moment between them, which makes the ending more believable Mm. um that they would kind of try to help each other in that way yeah yeah in the movie though it's kind of you know in the book they kind of come together at the end a little bit more yeah because they care for each other where in the movie they come together more because they're pushed together yeah which i still think works you know what i mean like that's true they don't have as much of a connection but it's not they don't come together at the end because they have a connection. Yeah. Although I do think they do a decent job at the end of kind of um, leaving it hopefully a little optimistic between the two of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I I like Marla better in the book. Me too. Um, And there's a great part in the book where, uh, yeah, and this is something else that's different, is um, in the book, the narrator tells Marla he has yes. two personalities. Mm-hmm. He comes clean to which her. Which is the spoiler alert. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, he spoiler comes alert. clean to Marla. He, you know, he tells her once he figures everything out, he he realizes that he needs help to mm-hmm. try to manage Tyler. And so, you know, he tells her all about it. And I love that part because she's completely unfazed. She's just yeah. like, 
oh, that's interesting. I once dated a guy who did like such and such and such and lists all this weird stuff. Um, and he's like, Marla, make sure you keep me awake. Keep me awake all night like I did for you when you took all those pills. Yeah. Which is, you know, the scene that's in the book and in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and she fails at that somehow. Yeah. They don't really go into it, but there is that inside knowledge that Marla has. So she knows that, you know, Tyler and the narrator are one person, that he's struggling with this split personality and that Tyler's taking over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a real short chapter, but it's real funny where Marla just like goes on and on about all the weird guys she's dated in the past. And, yeah. and the narrator kind of thinks like, oh, God, am I just going to be another story another to her? Story. I once dated a guy with two personalities. Yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I will say, though, I did like Tyler Durden better in the movie. And I mean, I just think that okay and i'm just gonna say this he's just sexy in the movie let's be <laughs> he real is. he is very it's, sexy oh oh yeah in the movie. which leads me to a brief rant and i don't <laughs> so i don't know you could argue this was a self-aware decision but there's a part in the movie where him and the narrator get on a bus oh i know exactly the part you're talking about <laughs> and i want to talk about this they too. look at a sign for a calvin klein ad which just has like the torso of a guy and he's you know wearing underwear wearing underwear he's all shredded and ripped and tyler's like is that what a, a real man looks like and he's like working out he's like and the narrator's talking like we feel sorry for guys who work at the gym work out at the gym and like we fight each other that's how we're in shape but oh freaking tyler durden brad pitt has like 10 abs in Ten the movie. Abs he's got the V thing at the hips that points right to his dick. Like, <laughs> he's just completely cut. Oh, yeah. And there's a lot of scenes of him without his shirt on. Abs, yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> you cannot say, like, yeah. He, so he gets that way from fighting random dudes once a week. Like, I'm, I have to call bullshit on it. Exactly. But you could say that. It's Tyler, it's the narrator's idea, yeah. ideal idea of himself. Because we don't really know what Tyler looks like. Mm hmm. Yeah, and there's a whole, you know, the movie and the book are both interesting in that it has a lot to say about a lot of its themes like capitalism and masculinity. Yeah. And on one hand, it makes a lot of statements about it that you kind of find true. And then on the other hand, it kind of subverts those and say, well, we're all slaves to this and like, or these ideas are wrong. And sometimes it's tough to tell whether it's like, making a statement about something or not or if it's just so and who's right is the narrator right mm-hmm. for trying to stop all this or is you know tyler right for trying to get rid of all this capitalist bullshit you know yeah and i have to say and when we get to the more towards the end of the book i, I want to talk about those stances and how they're established in the book and the movie because i think they're way better in the movie. Maybe not way better, but mm. more interesting. Okay. Another thing I wanted to mention about Marla is uh, there's a part in the book where she and the narrator are, you know, spending time together after Tyler leaves. And, you know, the narrator is upset and sad about the narrator, or Tyler being gone. And he and Marla are walking through the garden and they're growing all these herbs and flowers to put in the soaps that they're making mm-hmm. to sell to rich people. And um, it's just this kind of sweet moment where the narrator and Marla and they do this, you know, every night where they walk together in the garden and, you know, the narrator is thinking about stuff and talking about things. And, you know, he has no idea what's going on. The space monkeys are doing their thing and he and Marla are spending this uh, quality time together. 
Yeah, and I also want to just like give quick props to Helena Bonham Carter. Oh, yeah. Because even though I like the book character better, I mean, she really sells that role. She oh, yeah. really embodies it. Mm-hmm. I don't know what should we talk about next. Should we jump into uh, some of the stuff you loved about the movie? Yeah, sure. So um, one, one interesting thing that I really like about the movie is it kind of exists in this weird area that not a lot of movies... So, you know, it, it's a pretty... It's kind of a thriller drama, um, but there's a lot of um, special effects in it. Oh, yeah. For a movie like this, which mm-hmm. is weird. You know, most of the time, and maybe it's more nowadays, like if it's not a thriller or I'm sorry, like a superhero movie or an action movie, it doesn't have much of a production besides, you know, the filming. But this movie has so many special effects shots. That's true. There's the opening shot that goes, like, through the anatomy of the narrator. Oh, my gosh, the opening sequence. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. There's um a shot where it just, the camera is going through a garbage can oh, of, yeah. like, coffee cups and all oh, this stuff. Oh, I remember that. Mm-hmm. And I read that because this was made in 1999, that shot took three weeks to render on the computer. Oh, my God. Just for that one shot through. A and I'm <laughs> sure David Fincher insisted on a- it. Absolutely. <laughs> there's the plane crash sequence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the Tyler and Marla uh, sex scene. Oh, yeah. Which was shot the same way they shot the Matrix. Like, shot where, you know, where he's like... F- dodging the bullets oh being all crazy it was shot the same way that they shot that what yeah (laughs) where they just set up cameras around them Mm -hmm. that Um, sex sequence is great though it's pretty good because it sets up immediately how surreal things are Mm -hmm. you know because it's the narrator experiencing it in like a dream but it's you know, obviously what really happened to him as Tyler. Well, and it's good at establishing that, like, the narrator, although he acts like he's disgusted, like, if that's kind of what he's envisioning, yeah, you kind of get the sense that he is jealous of uh-huh. Marla and wanting, or of the, of the, of Tyler Durden for getting Marla. I love the parts where he's just in the house listening to them. <laughs> it's so great. It's so funny. There's so many great moments of that. Yeah. Um, should we get into Project Mayhem a little bit? Oh, sure. Kind of a turning point mm-hmm. for the story. Okay. So, you know, the the reason they start, according mm-hmm. to Tyler, is when uh, the narrator beats the crap out of Angel. Yeah. He says, I knew then that we needed something more than mm-hmm. just Fight Club. And so is that the narrator's way of dealing with all this rage where he literally beats the face off of someone? And so, you know, he needs a bigger outlet, something to, you know, incite this violence, um, not on a person, but on the system as they think of it. Yeah. Which I think is a good kind of, um, kind of reflection or commentary on Fight Club that it's not enough. You know, Tyler acts like, or I'm sorry, the narrator acts like he's all Zen and like in control because of Fight Club now. Yeah. But clearly that kind of disintegrates and shows that like. You know, you're kind of going to keep wanting more. Yeah. Which kind of pokes holes in the philosophy of... Of Fight Club. Of Fight Club. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so Project Mayhem starts and where they just do shenanigans across the city. And I have to say, I really... I like the schemes in the movie a lot better than in the book. I can't even remember what the differences are. Well, in the book, it's a lot of them, like... They get like grease guns and like inject phone booth like oh yes phone okay. booth. There's a lot of that like yeah. a weird number of they just inject a greaser like pudding into, into like phones. pay phones and Didn't, stuff. Um, wasn't Robert Paulson doing that? 
Yeah, when, when he, he was, was shot. Because mm-hmm. in the, um, and this makes a little bit more sense in uh, the book, he's holding a screwdriver. Yeah. When the police shoot him because they think it's a gun. Yeah, that makes sense. But I have to, <laughs> I hate to nitpick, and not that this is a nitpick, how the hell after they shot Bob, did they get Bob out of there? Oh, I know. Like, he's, he's, a he's, big he's guy. an enormous guy. He take a couple of them. And, like, there were police right everywhere. there. Yeah, yeah, like, there's, I was like, uh. yeah. <laughs> it's a bit of a stretch that they got him out of there. Mm-hmm. Which I think is the same for the book and the movie, right? They had. Yeah, I don't remember what they said about how they got him out or anything. But in the book, they had the body, right? Yeah, I think yeah. so. So, um. Yeah, just a little. But like in the movie, they have this scheme where they uh, throw a bird seed on the car lot so all the birds oh, shit yeah, on the that cars. Was um, they. Uh, oh, one of my favorite sequences is when they have the. You have to start a fight with someone. Oh, yeah. And that doesn't want to fight you. Mm-hmm. Which is a great sequence. And this goes back to the fun fact that I. I before we recorded this, we were kind of going through bits of the movie. And I paused on a guy in the fight club and I just, I didn't say anything to Adina about it. I just said, look at this guy. And it's during a scene, it's just kind of a normal fight club scene um, with these two guys fighting and the one guy who's kind of scrawny wins by choking out the other guy. Yeah. That is the priest from the scene earlier in the movie when they're trying to start fights with people. Oh, oh yeah. One of the guys like knocks the Bible out of a priest's oh. hands who's on the sidewalk and he soaks it with water. And oh my God. the priest is the only one who kind of fights back in that sequence. Yeah. That's the priest wow. in the next scene oh, in cool. Fight Club. Yeah. I wouldn't have caught it, but I watched a video later that was just kind of dissecting Fight Club a little bit. And he pointed that out and I was yeah. like, I never would have noticed that. That's so funny. It's a great little, uh, little moment though. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, they... They're bashing cars, and that's kind of more of a casual thing. Yeah. Uh, they fill up the Apple computers um, with uh, gasoline and blow those up. Yeah. I, I don't know. I just liked the schemes. Oh, they the the scheme that got Bob killed, that piece of modern art they oh, blew up. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was just a fan of the, the movie schemes. Um, how about the part in the book where um, the narrator ends up killing his boss? Yeah. That was really interesting. Yeah. Do you want to, do you have anything to say about that? Or cause I, I mean, they made some parallels between, you know, they made all these connections between, you know, not having fathers and thinking of God as their father, but he mm-hmm. wasn't there for them and being kind of angry children to like rebel against him. And then they make another parallel between like your boss and your father, like as a father figure. And so Tyler is kind of, trying to destroy these father images mm-hmm. in the narrator's life. And so he kind of tricks him, like convinces him or does it himself to kill the narrator's boss. Yeah. So that's interesting. And then that that also brings us to the scene in the car mm-hmm. where they're driving. And in the movie, it, it makes sense that they would have Tyler driving. Yeah. Because they why wouldn't they have a scene without him like why yeah you know, in the book it was just another space funky guy yeah yeah which was a little it was okay it was fine yeah but was, I, I like, like in the who's movie driving though like, yeah <laughs> if his if he's laying on the seat and in one part of the book they talk about his head being in his la- in the driver's lap mm-hmm. also very sexual yeah <laughs> um but if the narrator's in the car with tyler Who's driving? Yeah, and there's parts <laughs> where they're talking and 
they'll talk to the because there's a few space monkeys in the back and yeah. they'll ask them things in the middle of this conversation I'm like what is it from their point of view they're witnessing like yeah what are they thinking of this situation yeah is he talking to himself literally or is he just asking them questions it's a little um a little ambiguous to go back to uh the boss killing yeah this is where there's a big split for me from the book and the the movie Mm -hmm. because it's the extreme actions of um the space monkeys and Project Mayhem in the book of killing people. Killing people. And literally castrating people. Castrating people. Which happens in the movie, they threaten one guy with it. Yeah. And they don't have to do it. Mm-hmm. In the book, though, they do it to a lot of people. Like if there's any politicians or anyone in their way, yeah, they threaten them. And then if they don't comply, they literally castrate them. Yep. And it's tough for me because in the it, – it's – an easy way to kind of like in the book look at these guys and be like, oh, they've gone too far. Yeah. Like there's they're this killing is, people. They're killing people. It's just like this is messed up. Like I don't agree with it. Like it's kind of an easier, not a scapegoat, but kind of an easy way to like demonize this group. Yeah. Whereas in the movie, they never kill anyone. No. And even at the end. When they're going to blow up the buildings. When they're going to blow up the buildings, Tyler makes a point to say no one's in those buildings. We're not killing anyone. Yeah. In fact, um, what was it? I think I wrote it down. Oh, he said, we're not killing anyone. We're setting them free. Mm. And for me, I love this because it makes it a lot more of a convincing argument. Yeah. You have a lot more trouble. Swallowing ca- it. Yeah. You have a lot more trouble like um, just kind of ignoring their point of view because it's easier when they're killing people in the book to be like too much. But yeah. in the movie... They're just like, yeah, we're toppling this society. And mm-hmm. you could argue like, oh, people- we're anarchists, but we're like good anarchists. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the book and movie set up a lot of compelling arguments against, you know, uh, capitalism or the way things are and sets, you know, a lot of that up. And I like that in the movie, it's still trying to convince you of that a little bit. Yeah. And you're rooting for it a little bit. Y- yeah. You still kind of like, see their point. you're still behind Tyler a little bit. And for mm-hmm. me, that's a big factor in the movie is at the very end. And when they actually succeed in the movie, you're kind of like, so we're going to talk about the ending. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I guess let's just get into yeah, it. Um, in the book, obviously the explosions don't succeed. And in the book, they only have one building set to explode, and it's the building that they're in Mm -hmm. currently. So, you know, Tyler and the narrator are up on, you know, the top floors of this building, and, you know, Tyler has a gun in the narrator's mouth, also sexual. Yeah. (laughs) And, um, you know, Marla shows up, which is completely... Mm -hmm. I mean, she does show up in the movie, but she's kind of brought there by the space monkeys, maybe to kill her? We don't know. Yeah. Um, So... You know, she comes in and she brings all the people from the support groups, you know, the people with cancer and parasites and all that. And they come to try to convince uh, the narrator not to kill himself because, you know, he has a gun in his mouth. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's counting down from when the building is going to explode, the one that they're in right now. Yeah. And then it doesn't explode. And there's a part where he's talking about how paraffin doesn't personally doesn't work for him in bombs using yeah. as an ingredient. And he's like, oh, he used paraffin, didn't he? And it's kind of like, oh, it didn't explode because he used this ingredient. Yeah, that sometimes just, doesn't work. He just kind of screwed up at the end. Yeah, I Tyler screws up. Tyler screws up. Which and is I, interesting. 
Yeah, I just didn't buy it. I just didn't like it. You know, this is their master plan, and he kind of, in that chapter, that's the only time they establish this, like, kind of paraffin thing. Yeah. If well, I- they say it in the beginning, too, the first chapter. Okay, I, I guess. Yeah. But it's still kind of the same. Yeah, the same yeah. scene. Um, But yeah, it's kind of a weird... I don't know. It just felt like a little bit of a cop an out. Easy out. Yeah, yeah. An easy out. It's like, oh, it didn't work. But I really like the last chapter, mm-hmm. you know, cause he does, he shoots himself in the mouth just mm-hmm. like in the movie. And that's the end of that chapter. And then it goes to the last chapter and it's the narrator essentially in a psych ward or mm-hmm. something like that. And he keeps referring to it as like heaven. He's in heaven now. Yeah. And you know, there's God sitting across from him at a desk with all his diplomas hanging behind him yeah, and, you know, questioning him about why he did what he did and all of that stuff. It's well written. I, I like the the humor of that last chapter kind of, but it's very dark. It is. And it's weird that like the movie is in a way more upbeat in a way. And maybe yeah. it's like the Pixies music playing. Yeah. <laughs> but um, it's it's funny that for me, the movie ending where they're standing there watching all these buildings crumble and like you're just filled with so many questions about like, oh my God, what does this mean for the future? And like all this craziness and the fact that they succeeded is interesting. Mm -hmm. And I mean, obviously the music just really like sums up the whole, it's a really good ending. Mm -hmm. And um, I would like to, this is my smoking gun for this (laughs) argument. Okay. Chuck Palahniuk has said he actually likes the movie better. That is true. Yeah, I did read that. Mm -hmm. Um, But something that I need to bring up is, you know, the ending in the book was basically like, this guy was a psycho Mm -hmm. and he was committed because, you know, this is what happens to people that try (laughs) to like, you know, blow up buildings and, you know, have split personalities. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't just get to, you know, blow up you know, part of their brain out and that gets rid of it, you know? Like, he didn't say anything about Tyler. He said, you know, kind of Tyler's dead, so you think he's gone. Um, But he's on pills. You know, he talks about that he can sleep now, which is huge because, you know, the whole book and movie, he can't sleep. Yeah. Um, So this is somebody who obviously should be on medication (laughs) and should be in a psych ward. And, you know, Marla's writing to him. And they do kind of end it, though, in that uncertainty because he talks about, Every so often somebody will come in and bring him food or will be, you know, sweeping in there and they'll have like a black eye or their face Mm -hmm. will be beat up. And so, you know, they're from Fight Club and they say, you know, they whisper to him like everything's going according to plan, Mr. Durbin, (laughs) you know, so it still kind of leaves it off. It does. You know, what's going to happen? There's still this like conspiracy. People still feel this way, Mm -hmm. but it's also like, oh, let's just blow up the city. Like, yeah, you know, and I. And even though it's a good, like, visual and, like, cool ending for the movie, I don't know. I feel like it's sort of silly. Like, he and Marla, like, start holding hands. Mm -hmm. You know, the buildings are falling down. I don't know. I kind of like the the book better. You know, I I watched the guy's um, analysis of it. Um, Folding Ideas, I believe, is the YouTube channel. He does a really good analysis. But he was talking about how um, it's interesting because the narrator... It kind of talks about a lot about masculinity, yeah. which I know we want to talk about a little bit. Yeah. And he talks about how the narrator, the narrator responds to Marla through like aggression or kind of disdain. Rudeness. Rudeness. 
Um, while Tyler only responds to her through like lust and sex yes. and like, so it's kind of these two aggressive personalities towards Marla. Yeah. Um, but at the movie, at the end of the movie, he said it was interesting because all he does is reach his hand out and take Marla's hand. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of this first, like in the movie, at least genuine connection between the two. Yeah. And it, it's interesting too, because he kind of, he's killed Tyler at this point. Yeah. Which for me, I know a lot of people are kind of poke holes at that. Yeah. The way he shoots himself in the mouth and he fails. Um, and then, but Tyler Durden has a hole in his head. Yeah. And he's the one like, that's killed. So, you know, people are like, so shooting yourself in the mouth, kill, like, yeah. But to me, it makes sense because he actually attempted to kill himself. Mm-hmm. And I think it was that act of actually trying, which killed, which killed Tyler mm-hmm. or gave him the strength to overcome Tyler. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, I like it that it's after that, that he is kind of finally able to as himself as himself kind of um confront Marla mm-hmm. a little bit. Although I really like in the book where Marla tells him that she can tell the difference between mm-hmm. him and Tyler. Huh, yeah. Cuz she, you know, he's like, you know, Marla loves Tyler, she doesn't love me. And then at the end she says, "No, I can tell the difference and I kind of like mm-hmm. you." Yeah. You know, it wasn't like I love you, but she's like I kind of like you. So, I liked that. Yeah, yeah, I did too. Um but so going back to the masculinity thing, yes, let's talk about this. Um, and it, something else talking about the end real quick that I thought was interesting that I had never thought of was, uh, the guy, uh, the guy's analysis talked about how the buildings were literally like wilting penises, these big <laughs> phallic, you know, buildings just kind of toppling, toppling over and that being symbolic. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I can buy that. I like that. So this is something that's really interesting to me because I feel like the book and the movie, I mean, they are, they're cult you know, statuses, Mm -hmm. you know, in our culture and people really love them. I mean, one, because the book is very excellent and like written well and the movie is amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think things can get sort of twisted and taken in a different way than they originally intended. Yeah. So, and that brings us to the masculinity argument. So, you know, a lot of dudes are like, have a huge boner for this movie and for this book, you know? And they're thinking of it as like this manifesto for men and masculinity and kind of reclaiming that, you know, and, you know, like men fight and, you know, take down the system and all of that stuff, where even though Chuck Palahniuk was saying that, he was also subverting it. Yeah, it's interesting because I kind of wrestled with this a little bit because on one hand... It's set up as a typical masculine kind of setup with like, oh, guys fighting and Mm -hmm. like who's tougher kind of thing. But really, it's I I think it's interesting because it subverts that a little bit because for they're getting they're going to Fight Club to get beaten up as much as they are to like beat someone else up, which is Mm -hmm. kind of a subversion of the whole you know who's tougher kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Especially even at the beginning when first the narrator and Tyler throw those first punches Yeah. after they hit each other the first time, they each want to be the next one to be punched. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which kind of, and a lot of it, you know, they're talking about um, capitalism and kind of society's expectations on them. Yeah. How they're advertised to the media. Mm-hmm. A lot of things that aren't strictly, I, I would say like related to masculinity, but on the other hand, they're only talking about it from a guy's point of view. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's kind of the unspoken other rule of Fight Club that it's only guys. I know. There's no women. There's in no Fight women. Club, not, or in Project Mayhem, you know. Yeah. And Marla is the only female character, but 
she's not really a character. I mean, she doesn't have like a very in-depth personality. She's just there to play off in the, the book narrator or movie. in both to play off the narrator See, I, and Tyler. I feel like she has more of a personality in the book. Yeah, more of one, but she's still, yeah. you know, she's there to kind of play off of them and to expose this weird love triangle between them. Sure. Um, and something, you know, worth mentioning too is that, you know, this is all like, you know, men, you know, Fight Club, Project Mayhem and stuff, but um, the author is gay. Like, you know, he has a partner. I don't, He's gay. I think I knew that, but I totally forgot. Yeah. So he, I don't think he came out when this book was first Mm -hmm. published, but he has since come out, you know. So everything that we're talking about in this book and like all this, you know, homosexual undertones, you know, is, you know, you have to think about it through that perspective. Mm -hmm. Like what was he intending when he wrote this, you know? Um, So, and that just brings all those parts with Tyler and the narrator (laughs) Um, a little bit more light there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, so it, it, it's interesting. And this is one of those books where, and I, uh, like I said earlier, where it discusses these issues a lot and yeah. kind of brings up the pros and cons. And I wouldn't say, you know, the one video I watched was all about how it's all about toxic masculinity. Yeah. And I definitely think that's a theme. I don't think it's the only. But it's also subverting it. Yeah. You know? But I think some people only get the masculine aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And they're not seeing how Polonak is twisting that yeah. and showing you like how fucked up that can be, yeah. you know, and how underneath it all, like there's all this homosexuality anyway, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but yeah, I think the problem that I have with fight club, the movie especially is that there are a lot of people that view it in this, you know, idol, idyllic way, you know, mm-hmm. and idolize it. Where, you know, they're just looking at the surface and there's so much stuff, you know. Do you think that's a problem with the movie, though, or I think it's the movie. Yeah. I think because the book, and I know it happens with the book, too, but the book gets way more into it and you can kind of analyze it more. With the movie, it's very, I mean, it's just David Fincher's style. It's like glamorizing and sexifying, you know, this story and these men and stuff. Which is great. I mean, it makes a great movie. I love it. Um, But I think it can be misconstrued in a lot of ways. Mm. Yeah, I... um, Yeah, that's... It's it's tough because, you know, that's... Like you said, that's David Fincher's style. Yeah. But they don't really... I don't know if they glamorize it. It's tough to say. Like, when you visualize it, I think naturally you kind of get a little bit more... um, I don't know. It, it, it's tough to, yeah. it's tough to verbalize. Yeah, We're getting kind of into the weeds a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I still say the book is better because it allows you to get like way more in depth with it. Mm-hmm. You know, there's more than one side to this, obviously. <laughs> yeah. You got Tyler and the narrator. Um, but that's why I love the book is because you can get so deep into it. You know, there's more, um, sexual tension there with Tyler there and is. the narrator. Marla's more of a character. And the end for me is just great in the book. Like I love that kind of ending part of him, you know, in the psych ward. Yeah. One more issue I have though with the ending mm-hmm. is kind of leading up to the rooftop scene. Yeah. The story gets a little um Oh my god. A little lazy. Oh, yeah. It's like it's a little crazy. It jumps around a lot. Yeah. Um. You know, it starts off, the narrator talks to Marla, 
Yeah. He meets her at a, which I do like, they meet at a, um, another support group. Mm-hmm. Cause that kind of brings the support group back, which yeah. I like in the book, mm-hmm. but they meet at a support group. And then Tyler leaves the support group and he goes, I kind of forget the order a little he bit. He like shoots someone at That's a dinner it. Oh theater. yeah, he go- yeah. No, but that's before the support group. Is it? Because oh. she confronts him at the oh, support okay. group and says mm-hmm. he shot someone. Sorry. <laughs> but um, then he goes to a fight club. Okay. And he challenges like everyone at the fight club to fight. Because like, he kind of wants to beat Tyler out of himself. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And Oh, and they won't let him. Well, no, this is after. Oh. <laughs> I know. It, it just... I get confused with all so of this. So he, he fights like three guys in a row. And remember, mm-hmm. he gets like his teeth knocked out. Like he gets all his teeth like chipped and knocked oh, out. Oh, yeah. Remember, he Ugh. bites off like he bites off part of his tongue. Oh, yeah. This yep. is where this was the grisly part for me. Yeah. So he gets his teeth knocked out. He bites off part of his tongue. It's really gross. Then later on, he goes... After that, he wakes up back at his apartment. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Then he goes to the building. And that's when the support group and Marla show up. Oh, yeah. And they're mm-hmm. like, we followed you here. And I'm like, what do you, how? how did you follow him here? Did you follow him to Fight Club and then to his apartment and then to here? Like, Yeah, it does get lost. It was like a little weird. Mm-hmm. It just felt kind of lazy, to be honest. Yeah. And then like, and it felt like Polanak was kind of starting to ignore the threads of his story just to kind of be a little more stylistic or more Polanaki. Yeah. Like when he talks about... It's a great line, but he talks about it's tough. You can only speak in vowels with a gun barrel in your oh, mouth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's tough to talk with a gun barrel in your mouth. Well, I imagine it's also tough to talk with half your teeth knocked out and no tongue. Yeah. But he doesn't talk about <laughs> no, that. No, you know what doesn't. I mean? Yeah. So it kind of, yeah. it, towards the end of the story, like you start losing these threads, like mm-hmm. details are kind of ignored. It felt a little thrown together, not or a little bit lazy. What about the part where uh, the Project Mayhem people try to cut off the narrator's balls? Oh my god. That was my favorite part of the book that I wasn't in that. the movie. Yeah. Essentially. They're on that bus. They're, mm. they're on a bus and um, it's when the narrator's trying to uh, sabotage Project Mayhem and he's on a bus and suddenly the bus stops and he realizes everyone on the bus is Project Mayhem. Mm-hmm. And they grab him and they're like, this is a test, obviously, or yeah. you were, you know, they said anyone who tried to shut down Project Mayhem or Fight Club, we'd have to do this it, to them. It's very similar to the scene in the police station in the movie. Yeah. Um, but the gag in the book is that since they they have actually been castrating people in the book, yeah, they have this like thing where they're timing it. Oh yeah, and it becomes like almost like a nationwide thing. Like who has the fastest time? They try to do under three minutes. To I do think. it under three minutes, yeah. and naturally the narrator when they is struggling, he run he tries to jump out of the bus and they're pulling him back. And one guy's like, "Sir, stop! You're messing up the time." <laughs> That's so great. <laughs> it's such a well, funny part. And then he then it's the next chapter, and he like wakes up somewhere. Is that when he wakes up at his apartment? I think so. Okay. And he has, he's like feels himself and he still has his balls. Yeah. And I'm like, mm, well, maybe. Like, what if they really did cut off his balls? Mm. Like, that's another interesting, like, maybe. thing in there. Um, Something I thought about in the movie that the book does differently that I kind of wanted to ask you about. When he finds out that Marla knows him as Tyler Durden. Yeah. When I first saw the movie, my impression was that his name was actually Tyler Durden oh yeah no but in the movie that's still plausible right they don't say no um well in the book well in the book they flat out say that's That's not not his his name name. yeah like he shows her his license Mm -hmm. and they don't say what his name is yeah like 
he shows it to her and that's not his name. But I like the idea that in the movie that his name might have, he doesn't have another name. Yeah. That that's his only name and he's mm-hmm. just been mentally disassociating himself with it. That's true. Which I kind of like that idea, but I, in the book they like flat out, you know. Deny that. Deny that. But I mm-hmm. like that concept in the movie that that's kind of open-ended, that maybe Tyler Durden is his real name. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think we covered a lot. Is there anything else we want to mention? I don't know. Um, I think that's it. It seems... Seems like we. I mean, we could probably talk about this all day. Yeah, we probably. There's so I mean, there's so much to discuss. There, it's, this is one of those books that, you know, people write freaking like theses mm-hmm. and papers on this. So it's really it's a meaty <laughs> book and yeah. movie. But well, that's what makes it so good. And yeah, yeah, both are both are excellent. It mm-hmm. really cemented David Fincher as a director. Oh yeah. Thank you for listening to this episode of Cover to Credits, where we discussed Fight Club. You can find us on Twitter at Cover Two Credits. That's the number two. Um, you can email us at uh, Cover to Credits Pod, uh, and also find us on Facebook. Um, you can email us with questions or tweet at us your thoughts on Fight Club or the movie. We might answer some questions if we get them. Um, and that's Cover to Credits Pod at gmail.com. Yes, yes, and Cover two credits with the number two on Twitter on Twitter. (laughs) Um, I want, I just want to thank real quick, uh, actual size and Bob Kiernan for providing our audio equipment for this podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.